0: Welcome back to Code Chat. I'm going to be talking with Rick Barraza today, and we're going to be talking about AI or machine learning or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking about some of those concepts. So a couple weeks ago, uh, I kind of renewed or revived Code Chat, and I told you that there are a few technologies that I am uh, really uh, deep in, interested in, uh, moving in. Uh, Things like IoT and a little bit of bots and And there were a couple of technologies that I told you that I'm really excited about. I know that they are um, hugely impactful in the digital world and computer science. And one of them was machine learning. Another one was blockchain. And so I'm excited to have this conversation today with Rick uh, because Rick is a a real visionary and well-spoken. He understands a lot lot of concepts and does a good job of relaying those. And and you're working right now, Rick, in the area of, of AI, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I've been helping out, well I'm in evangelism, and I've had a big focus on AI, but specifically deep learning. Okay. So there are a lot of these buzzwords going around, there's yeah. AI, and then ML, and then right. deep learning. Uh, and sometimes I think even at the, where to start, I think giving a nice vocabulary is, is good. It's so a good that, idea. So, so we're all on the same page, because where does it fit in? Bot frame is associated, cognitive services is associated, right? Mm-hmm. Is this AI, is this ML, is it, is it DL? um so uh as a very quick level set is that fine so ai has been going on for a very very long time as we know 1956 dartmouth college and that was basically can we have computers uh do things that if humans did them it would see it it would be deemed intelligent and and that seems like a weird definition now because we're so used to computers just being smart for us but if you saw, like, Hidden Figures, the movie Hidden Figures. I didn't. Oh, you have to watch it. It's okay. a fantastic, like, after this is over, let's go watch it All right, right now. Uh, so it's about uh, the human computers. Uh, it, they were women, and most of them were people of color. They are working at NASA, and they were human computers. This was in the 50s. We know in World War II, human computers. But the whole, the whole point, uh, the, the challenge was that she was a woman, she was a person of color, she was also a computer. Hmm. And so she had ideas she wanted to contribute. But the culture was that, no, the, the the male engineers are the ones who do the problem solving. Okay. A computer's job is just to crunch numbers. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of the way we've thought about computers. Even when they became digital, for a very long time, computers just crunch numbers. Uh, AI broadly was the different approach to that, say, no, let's see if we can make computers uh, be smart, do things that we would consider smart, not just be number crunchers for humans. Um, For a long time, we did this with if statements. I know in the 80s, right? uh, We thought, well, we could pre program every possible scenario with a lot of if, and we'd call these expert
0: systems. I think that's how Eliza was created, right? Yes, exactly. Lots of if statements.
1: (laughs) Just a whole bunch of if statements. And it's funny now, we look back at it. Yeah. uh, But I think with, with myself, even growing up, once you learn the power of if statements when you're very young, it's like, oh, I can code anything, right? With just if statements. And,
0: and now the way I understand it, I've always said that if there's a system that I've engineered from start to finish, then it cannot be any bigger than me. It's very imperative, and I've walked it along the way, and what I've always wanted to do, I love the movie um, A Beautiful Mind. Yes. Uh-huh. Because what he was looking into was this emergent behavior, these systems that kind of escape the designer, where you create something and then it just kind of lets go, and so that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah,
1: I- exactly, so what once we've, once we went down the if statements route, uh, the world started getting more complex and data got more complex. And a lot of people started realizing, you know, you know what, exactly to your point, maybe we can make software that, that's bigger than ourselves. And this industry, uh, this subsection of AI was called machine learning. Now machine learning has, again, in its, in its uh, subsection definition, software that if you program it to do a task, will get better at that task the okay. more you
0: use it. So that's the general definition of machine
1: learning. Yes. It'll get
0: better at what it does.
1: Exactly. Awesome. Now, it doesn't have to be a neural net, right? We have genetic okay. algorithms, or a lot of different ways mm-hmm. you can do this, but mm-hmm. at, a, at a high level and looking at it from history, if you, if you wrote the software from start to finish, like you were saying, and it can't get bigger than you, then it, it's, it's not machine learning. Yeah. If you do anything, you you maintain a buffer, you provide some feedback, you have it you have it do a task, and then there's feedback, how wrong it is, and it updates itself. That's the direction of machine learning okay. uh, so if you uh, now what, what was interesting that's what drove a lot with the web whenever you're getting email, and it says, "Well, is this an inbox or is this spam?" yeah. That's machine learning in practice. Machine learning became very, very powerful the past 20 years or so, especially with the web, because there's so much data moving around. These types of systems that got better the more you used it, uh, really started improving. So machine learning has been here for a while. It's been very popular, but it was also very specialized. Mm -hmm. I know you and I, we're we're more general computer programming. We like different things. But this kind of industry of data science and big data and machine learning, it was, it's a very specialized type of community. At a certain point and over the years, they've developed their own culture and their own buzzwords and their own way of thinking about problem solving. They write code, but the culture is a little bit different. What happened recently, uh, and by recently I mean like 2012 or so, is deep learning kind of blew up. And 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 has taken over has been the 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 main thing that's attracted so much buzz. Now
0: I've heard deep learning and machine learning yes. used interchangeably, but you're saying that deep learning is a specialization of yes. machine learning. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. So for for example, with machine learning, I I can set up linear regressions. I, I can um, there's tricks you can do in your software to make them get better. You're not necessarily building a neural net, but okay. all of those things count as machine learning. If I go to Azure ML. Mm-hmm then uh, that's a place for anybody who's data science, any machine learning, uh, all of those decades of machine, of classical machine learning ways of doing things. Those are all up there on Azure ML. I can bring in data and I can slice it and dice it using all of the, the established tricks we have. Okay. Uh, deep learning, um, to explain it more like a story, right? If machine learning was trying to solve the problem of transportation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and we as computer programmers, no offense, but we'd like horses and carriages, like that's the world that we live in. We, yeah, right. we, we use code to build carriages, you know, and then we use computation as the horses and, and we drive it forward. Machine learning and, and AI was trying to solve this problem of transportation, and so they were building cars. There's always been this group since the 1950s, Rosenblatt, the, uh, with Rosenblatt's Perceptron, there's always been this minor little fringe group within this big, bigger industry of machine learning. That we're pushing this idea of neural nets since the fifties, since mm-hmm. since AI's been around since mm-hmm. a little bit after computers, right? Mm-hmm. This we're talking Turing. This little group was saying, hey, I know everybody else is trying to solve the problem of transportation by building cars. Let's build synthetic horses, right? I mean it's such a bizarre <laughs> idea, right? Yeah. Well, no, cars are better, it's easier. And they're like, well, let's build some, you know, let's let's look at how the human brain works and let's use that to inspire how we're gonna set up this. Neural nets have always been an appealing idea. They just didn't work, mm-hmm. and people would come in, and you know, they'd hit their nuclear winter. Say, okay, we can't do neural nets that way. So we'd go back to if statements. We'd go further on again in the late eighties, right, in early nineties. Let's do neural nets. Well, no, we have machine learning that we can solve it without this extra burden of trying to set up software that mimics the brain. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. If just regular software, regular right. programming does it. Right. Right. So. They kept working at this problem for decades, and it needed a couple things to be resolved. Around 2012, all those pieces started falling together. And at 2012, there was a special event. It was called ResNet, and AlexNet Alex came out. And the results of this were just unimaginable, it, it outperformed even classical machine learning just ridiculously, it destroyed everybody in this competition. And at that point it was kind of the shot heard around the world that after decades and decades and decades, uh, neural nets have been able to become deep neural nets. We have enough data, we have enough, with the algorithms have finally been optimized, we have enough big compute and with the cloud that this we've finally been able to turn on this particular type of engine. So if machine learning was almost building car engines, right, the, uh, deep learning was like building airliner, you know, it, yeah. it, just, just massive, massive engines. So we sure. just didn't have enough fuel, we didn't have big enough horsepower, all of that stuff finally fell into place around 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. and that's why we've seen this explosion of deep learning-led features. Now, deep learning technically is a subset of machine learning, mm-hmm. and a lot of machine learning is applied toward AI, but deep learning is a thing that kind of woke up everybody's imagination. Before 2012, we had books on machine learning and machine learning was important. Microsoft's always been a very um, world renowned center for classical machine learning, right? Google, a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, you know, the a lot of the competitive landscape. This has been one of the biggest differentiators was machine learning, but deep learning is something net new okay. neural nets have kindly been viable. They've exploded out in power. Um, and, and it's, it's really what's attracted so much attention. They're really, really good at vision. And at natural language, and that's why those two things, since 2012, we've seen explode out. Not just Microsoft, in the entire world of computation, right? This deep learning, I, I like to say, tilted the vector of of progress that classical machine learning was on. 2012 came, and things just started shooting up this way, right? Okay. Among everybody.
0: So what I want to do today, Rick, is I want our audience, who in in our audience, we've got a lot of developers. Okay. You know, they're they're com- yeah. classic computer science. They're working with, you know, trying to try and do the to do their own internal combustion, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and uh and climbing on top of these various systems and now machine learning is a thing, deep the deep neural networks are a thing. Um but it it feels really Im- imposing and intimidating. Yes. I want them to know first of all that it's significant, that mm-hmm. this is not only a um this I want I want them to understand that this is not one of those concerns like gaming where they can just kind of mm-hmm. choose to avoid it, they kind of are going to have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're going to have to face the prospect of learning some machine learning in their jobs but then I also want my audience to not be intimidated by machine learning. I, w- I want them to know that it's accessible, that, that it's something that mm-hmm. they can't learn. So talk to me about the accessibility of machine learning because when it's new, we see it in its specialized form in these large applications. Like we see this huge data set and and some massive company with deep pockets is talking about how they studied it with machine learning and they figured out this result. But what what about my developer who's working on a text box in his website and he needs to use a little bit of machine learning to figure out what to fill that text box with? What about these little applications? How accessible is machine learning?
1: So, um, there are like five different questions <laughs> in that one question. So, let me try and break focus them on down. Focus the yeah, one. Yeah, let's focus on the last one. Uh, so, there are enough services out there that you could start using deep learning without no, uh, and, and I'm saying specific deep learning, but using machine learning, this, this new power. Yeah. Uh, because even all of our cognitive services, not all of them necessarily use deep learning. A lot of them are still using tried and true machine learning algorithms right so getting into the weeds of of which one it's actually using uh, sometimes may not be necessary Mm -hmm. right if you fall in love with this topic which i did and you you kind of change your career vector to just be all in on this right um, it's very very rewarding it is intimidating if you if you feel that it is intimidating if you're really trying to understand it uh, and you realize wow this isn't like learning blockchain or learning Rest call, you know this. This is a different thing. This is an entire industry, yeah. different buzzwords. So it's only intimidating if you if you're applying the expectations of of how you how quickly you're used to picking up stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, this is a different field, right? Yeah, it's accessible, obviously, but you have to almost approach it with a certain humility. If yeah. you do approach it with a humility and you're bright, you'll be able to get it, no problem. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I've seen people crash against it because there's a they're used to being really smart with computers. This mm-hmm. is computers, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it feels different, and some people don't like that, right? If you can get past that, it's very accessi- it, it is very accessible. Your question of how to just start using it if you have a text box, this comes into, like, REST APIs. This comes into cognitive services, all of these features that kind of say, look, if you don't want to understand it, it's a magic black box, and if you send us some information, we will do our... AI magic and give you back a result nice. and we're going to make rest APIs and you can plug and play. That is a way of learning it. Um, where I have something, I know that these cognitive services allow me to do certain things like Lewis is really good. Okay, I want to bring in natural language processing. I want to do text to speech, speech to text. I want to take pictures and have it read, you know, do character recognition. Yeah. I, can, I can play with it that way. Like just plugging in little samples uh, and that's good, we support a lot of that. That's, that's kind of the, that's the easiest way mm-hmm. of, of doing it. One challenge with that, one caveat, the reason I'd kind of, as developers of course, yeah, start there, like spend an afternoon and you got yeah. it, it's REST APIs, right. you yeah. got it. Keep a running tally in your head of, or the galleries of, of what it can do and that's fine and just treat AI like a big collection of magic black box services. That at least gets you in the water um, that's not my focus when mm-hmm. I talk to people. A lot of other people already have that angle covered, right? right a lot right. of research, right. a, a lot of evangelism, a lot of videos go in that angle. That's not my particular focus. The reason it's not is because I think back, um, let's say it was the 1988, 1989, 1990. And you're already a really good programmer, because most people watching your show, it's not like, you know, the, the, we're already programming. They're not new to this. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. they're not new to this. Mm-hmm. We do this for... for We've a, little, a rest caller. Yes. Minutes. Right. <laughs> if, you, if we had this mindset in 1989, 1990, we're good at our jobs, you know, we rock and roll. Somebody comes up, maybe a young person or somebody from research, and say, hey, there's this thing coming up called the internet. We'd be like, wait, what's this? Computers talking to each other? Yeah, I've been doing that for a decade. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to be great is that I will no longer need to uh, burn my executables onto a disk and mail them a disk. I'll be able to use the power of the Internet so they can download the executables. I get it. I understand the Internet. I understand how I'm going to use it. I've already been doing it for years anyways. Computers talking to each other. I'm ready to rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And they will completely miss... What happened in the 90s because the true power of the internet wasn't just about connecting yeah. the computers to send executables back and forth it was to move computation up to the cloud mm-hmm. right that big picture they would completely miss it if they were just thinking of you know in this how do I pragmatically get this little nugget and plug it in and keep rolling without stopping and thinking computation is changing is broadening mm-hmm. out what I do is still true but the playing field has gotten bigger mm-hmm. I feel with AI, we're at the exact same spot where many people who are really good at classical computer programming yeah. are hearing AI. They start, you buy a book mm-hmm. and it's like all math and it seems ridiculous, right? You're, you're, you're doing all these things. It seems a little intimidating. You don't have time for that level of investment. So it's like, okay, wait, what, what can it do? Okay, so I can plug it in for this and plug it in for this. And then they just keep rocking and roll. Yeah, I get it. Great. And they're going to miss, I believe, in my opinion, the complete transformation that AI is bringing to computation yeah. uh, of we do right. things. Not that the way. Not that just like in the eighties. Not you can still write desktop software. Mm-hmm. The cloud didn't take that away, but it completely changed the playing field. AI is now coming in and changed the playing field. In my opinion, even more significantly. So
0: you're saying to developers, you're encouraging them not to miss the impact, not to overlook the concepts that are behind this revolution and just see oh great now you can look at a picture and see what's in it or now you can turn text to speech or speech to text great it's a new function it's a new feature I can call it and I can use it but rather step back look at the concepts and 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 uh, what
1: uh, yeah yeah L- look, look at the, the concept yes to to grok the implications again it yeah. might not change anything in your life and you might still and it'll be great hey mm-hmm. I have this black box my my bag of tricks has gotten more broad and it's powered mm-hmm. by AI on some of these fringe things and that's fine especially if you do this and this is your job and and you don't want to change in careers yeah but a new wild west has opened up mm-hmm. and for some people it Will be worth the time and investment and change in the way we think and change how we approach computers to move into this new Wild West Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make that accessible to a lot of people because I think the broad implications of what's going on if it was presented properly I think enough people would get the big picture. Aha, I get it. Now it's going to be worth me jumping into it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think AI is really being presented that way enough right now. It's being presented, you either need to start at the base of the mountain of machine learning and work from scratch all the way up, and that's very intimidating, yeah. right? Or just think about it like a collection <laughs> of black box services and plug it into your workflow and nobody's trying to make you scared. It's the middle sweet spot that I'm trying to cultivate. It says, look, you don't have to... Comp- you don't have to learn the entirety of machine learning just to start playing with AI, with deep learning right, right now. CNTK, TensorFlow, there are a lot of things out there that we're bringing in and supporting where you can start playing with it right now without needing to go all the way up. Right? There are abstraction libraries. You're, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who didn't come from deep machine learning who are now having a lot of fun and building their own AIs now.
0: It does, it does seem to me like there's everything from the very difficult way to do machine learning to the very, very easy way to do machine learning, and you can jump in and pick yeah. any point that you want. One of the things that sometimes I get concerned with is when technologies are somewhat nascent, they, there's a lot of churn, you know, yeah. they're changing every day, there's, yeah. you know, new things that come out that completely change the paradigm, let alone the, the actual method for doing something. And, I tend to wait for the churn to settle down a little bit, and except for in a couple areas where mm-hmm. I have time to kind of be involved yeah. in the, the, um, the whole community coming up to speed on it. But, but in a lot of areas, I like to wait for the churn to settle down and then say, now is a good time for me to learn this technology. So in your opinion, is now a good time to learn machine learning or is it better to wait for the churn to settle down?
1: I think that's a personal question, right? Because there are some things that I, I, I have to believe you don't wait for the churn to settle down. There's always one or two things in your life right. that you're going to be at the bleeding edge, exactly. and everything else you're going to wait for the churn yeah, to settle down, right? right? So for me, uh, AI and deep learning is the thing. Yeah. I think it is you the most significant the thing. I want to be in the churn yeah. right now yeah. because I want to be influencing the churn and contributing to the churn because we don't have the answers yet we're we're not even asking the right questions yet on a Mm -hmm. lot of this stuff so the churn is actually what's most appealing right now right Mm -hmm. this is mobile in 2008 this is the internet you know 94 right this is this is it's not easy and that's a good thing right now this Mm -hmm. is where the opportunity is and to really be a part of this to shoot up very very quickly Mm -hmm. once the churn settles down Right? You, you're gonna you, you're it's not gonna be more commodity yes it will be yeah. a commodity so so that that's fine so for for me right now is is the best time to do it the challenge because it is still the Wild West mm-hmm. and the Wild West is kind of like the great neutralizer it didn't matter it didn't matter what you did before right the fastest sign the fastest gun becomes the sheriff
0: that's right so that's right.
1: it's it's the great neutralizer right now AI and it appeals to a certain type of personality mm-hmm. and some people that might not have been good with certain types of classical computer science problems actually are intuitively good at AI because it's a different way of thinking. I'd like to briefly explain how it's different. Okay, sure. So, um, and this might help for people to see the big picture. Under classical programming, we as the developers would create the secret sauce. A customer would come in and have a problem. They'd give us inputs of some sort. Mm -hmm. We can consider those inputs X. Mm -hmm we as the developers and they would say what they want to pay us for you know these are the results i want are are y okay if i give you these inputs x Mm -hmm. i want you to give me the y's and so we would create the secret sauce and we would consider those secret sauce or we call them weights right the the w so the equation of what classical software has always been is our customers give us x we come up with the w the weights Mm -hmm. and it generates our software generates the y the output that they're going to pay us for yeah this is how it's been, we, our ego as people, as, as developers, has been, we are smart enough to create that secret sauce. Yeah. We create W. We make W. Yeah. <laughs> we make W, right? Muggles don't, and we're wizards and we create W. Yeah. That's classical programming. If you can do it that way, do it that way. Because classical programming gives you a definitive answer based on our secret sauce, right? Well, mm-hmm. Why, is, why is, is accurate? Why is either right or it's, or it's wrong? Mm-hmm. But baked into that is the assumption that we are smart enough to create W. Mm -hmm. There's an entire universe of problems out there that are just too hard for us as humans, with Mm -hmm. human intelligence, Mm -hmm. to create W for. And so as computer programmers, we don't like those types of problems, so we kind of slice it and dice it a different way. But that's been implicit. This world of classical programming exists in a world where we as humans are smart enough to solve those problems, Mm -hmm. and all the other problems, well, we just pretend they're not there. When we think about it this way, AI begins where classical programming ends for all the programs, for all the problems that we were not smart enough to create W AI comes in and says, as long as you have data, lots of data of previous versions of X and Y, I will churn through that data, the AI and the AI will grow a W that finds the correlation, between X and Y. Mm-hmm. Now for some programmers, and I've met some, and they're brilliant, brilliant programmers, and they're, they're, they're doctors, you know, of computer science, they don't like that intuitively. It's yeah. not science anymore, yeah, right. because our job has always been about causation. Mm-hmm. We're finding the, the causation that gets you from X to Y. Mm-hmm. And, and AI is totally different, it's just correlation. Mm-hmm. It might not even be accurate, but it's mapping the data. Right. So if we think about it this way. And if the think,
0: answer is like 0.79 probability Yeah, exactly. opposed one or zero.
1: But again, as opposed to totally, I don't know, yeah. which is yeah. where many times we'd be stuck That's with. So true. if we think about it like this, and, and I like to think of classical programming as being the, the, the land animals. We were the dominant land, the, the apex predator, right? Yeah. We were the dominant species on land of classical programming. We are really, really good at that. Mm-hmm. And we can augment it with things like blockchain, distributed computing, all these other tips and tricks. We, we dominate the land. Mm-hmm. AI begins now where classical programming ends, and it gives us the ability of kind of moving into a higher strata mm-hmm. that we weren't able to do before, right. so they don't necessarily compete with each other. Mm-hmm. AI always comes with this probability and statistics, and I'm not really sure, but based on the data, here's my prediction mm-hmm. and we can reduce the error, but it's still predictions. Mm-hmm. If you can solve the pro- if you can solve the problem the classical way of computer science, do that you're getting causation right yeah. right. AI begins where classical programming ends, and it has just given us a new dimension of computation. And I think that's what's gonna change, is now we're filling up the volume yeah. of, of problem space.
0: It seems to me like less of an invention and more of a discovery, because when you see the kinds of problems that are solved with, with a good uh, machine learning application, it, the data was there. It was just sitting there with the answers in it, or the answers to the degree that we we're capable of pulling the answers out. I used to work in in aerospace manufacturing and did it at the application of uh, machine learning, and we would look at the manufacturing mm-hmm. variables, and sometimes they would be, you know, eighty to three hundred variables, a whole bunch of variables, and then a whole bunch of records, right? Mm-hmm. All this data, lots of good data, and the result was whether or not the part that was being created was good or bad, yep. or it had to be reworked, and they would oftentimes have multiple black belts in the room looking at this data, trying to chunk it up into small sets at a time because they're trying to see the patterns. They're trying Mm -hmm. to see the forest for the trees. And the fact is that humans are just really, really terrible at looking at more than about three variables at a time. And and then when we would crunch it and it would come out and say, well, it looks to us like every time this and this and this and this and this this variable are set like this, you end up with a bad part and it's a discovery, then they go, we didn't notice that, mm-hmm. we, didn't, we had no visibility to that. But it, it brought out something that already existed in the data, the pattern was there. We have the information that says what make bad, makes bad parts, we just haven't been able to put it together until so, now.
1: So I, I, agree, I agree with everything you're saying, but I would, I would push that into the domain of classical machine learning. Mm. Everything okay. you're saying. So classical machine learning is just finding the patterns that were in the data. Yeah, okay. AI, as like table stakes, yes, does that, but does it better usually. But what it's doing, the, the difference between classical machine learning, which is what most of us were exposed to, be, unless, unless you just got into this after 2012, mm-hmm. specifically on deep learning, you, know, you want to buy a book on AI and you order something on machine learning because everybody's using the same phrases. Yeah. You go through all of these books they didn't even talk about deep neural nets, right right it's just all this other stuff and that's always been exactly exactly like you described it perfect deep learning and the reason the vector tilted is it took all of that and it weaponized that math into an engine that can crank and turn itself and not only find patterns but generate original content and that's the area where i'm focused on in synthetic creativity because i focus quite a bit on create creative stuff as you know Mm -hmm. in arts if we Continue the metaphor of the equation, right? Where classical software was X, we create the the W and the Y is generated. Machine learning broadly has been give us a lot of X and Y and our software will will generate the W. Deep learning allows us to take it one more crank because once those Ws are set up, we can now start creating these weights so so well that we can take W and existing outputs and generate new Xs. And, And... Uh, again, classical programming, we create the W. Yeah. Machine learning, we give it X and Y, and it generates the W. Mm -hmm. This next turn of synthetic creativity, we're giving it the... We've trained AIs with a W. Mm -hmm. We're giving it existing Ys, and it's creating original Xs from scratch. As a simple example, it's easy now in 2017 to send a, a picture to a black box service, And it says, okay, that's a person riding a bike. Yeah. It's been almost impossible to unscramble that egg, though, to tell an AI, give me a picture of a pink octopus playing a keyboard, wearing a hat. Mm -hmm. And it generates the picture. Back, right? Yeah. Going the opposite way is significantly harder yeah, right. than turn this picture into natural language, mm-hmm. turn natural language into a picture that has never existed before. Right, right. That's what we start getting into the area of synthetic creativity. Now with things like generative adversarial networks, with cycle GANs that are going on, a lot of these are on my GitHub repo as well, projects that okay. we've been doing. It's this area that classical machine learning just can't even touch that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, your description of classical machine learning was spot on, right? It was finding those patterns hidden in the data deep learning takes that weaponizes it turns it into an engine that you can run for itself and that can start generating original X's out into the world and that that is the thing that just has me like terrified well, and fascinated yeah. every single day
0: that's that's good to know because now that you put it that way the way I'm I'm visualizing mm-hmm. it now is a robot armed with classical machine learning capable of looking at the world around it and quantifying it, making sense of it yes. but but a robot armed with the new phase, the new order, mm-hmm. the, you know, with a deep neural network capability, able not only to make sense of the real world, but to become a producer. Yes. But to yes. come up with something.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And that's very early on. It's the <coughs> churn. But that was science fiction. That's yeah. been science fiction f- for millennia. Yeah. And we're at the point that it's becoming possible. Mm-hmm. We're having repos, there's experimentations on this, we're running Hackfest with some very forward-leaning partners already on this third turn of the crank of mm-hmm. generative, of synthetic creativity, synthetic content. Um, that I'm spending all my time on that because it's just absolutely fascinating and uh, it's a very niche part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I try and speak broadly, like with this interview on yeah. AI for Everybody, I yeah. believe we need a diversity mm-hmm. of uh, minds and, and personalities. There's a problem, I think last time we spoke, and I think to wrap things up, um, there's a problem that happens in AI. It's called overfitting. Mm-hmm. And it's what happens when you build a neural net and you build the neural net too smart. Mm-hmm. It's too smart at crunching data, but you don't give it enough diversity of data. Yeah. It doesn't learn the pattern, just memorizes the inputs, yeah. right? Which, yeah. is, which is funny when you're like, oh, I've created a brain to understand the data. The brain just just memorized You made it too smart. Mm -hmm. It memorized a small set of data. That's called overfitting. It seems to work during training and then you put it in the real world and it doesn't know how to interact with it. We have a challenge right now, and and we globally, right, with AI, is we have a lot of smart people on it, but they're just talking to the same type of classical machine learning and people who had kind of been in this career path. Um, I feel that a lot of the conversations around AI uh, are a bit overfitting to certain types of people. And if you come in as an engineer, someone who likes something different, as an artist, as anybody who just as a maker, as a hacker coming in, they're not getting enough of that diversity in. And so there's a lot of overfitting in terms of how we explain it and how we evangelize it. That's one of the areas that I'm trying to push back because I'm really passionate about AI's for everybody. Like it exists now. You can, like a car, like the car exists. We can teach how to drive. We can fall in love with driving. You don't need to build the car from scratch anymore. cars exist, right? You can take the bus, you can do cognitive services, right? You can have somebody else do all the driving for you and you can take advantage of this new miracle. But cars now exist. You don't have to start from building an engine. You can just start rocking and rolling and driving and fall in love with driving, right? Be a a good driver, learn how to fix it. So it's this kind of approach in the middle that I've been focusing on.
0: That was was totally meta, Rick. You just used machine (laughs) learning to describe developers entering the world of machine learning.
1: There you go. Uh, Okay. I guess that's true. There you go. Something
0: like that. Okay. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up. I hope that this was helpful to you guys just learning about what uh, this world looks like, how it's going to impact you as day-to-day developers doing computer science, but adopting um, some of the concepts or maybe all of the concepts of data science. Um, That's going to be a pretty interesting world going forward. I I always say this is a good time to be a developer, no more than ever. And uh, yeah. So anyway, thank you, Rick, for being with us. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, and we'll see you next time on Coach Axe.